Welcome to the Once in Future Authors Podcast. I'm Stephanie, and I'm so delighted today to be joined by author Chris Jones. Chris is the author of Headcase, uh, book one, Shock and Denial. It's a book all about mental health athletes and a whole lot of other good stuff. You're going to be thrilled to meet him. So please welcome Chris Jones. Nice to have you. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited. Oh, to, thrilled to, to have you and 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 love the book. You know, uh, I'm not really an athlete myself, but, you know, the mother of uh, children who are into sports. And and uh, I remember years ago hearing anecdotally that somebody who was a prisoner of war who loved playing golf every day while they were in, in prison, they played a whole four hour round of golf in their head. And when they came out of this terrible situation, um, their handicap had improved tremendously. And ever since then, I was hoping that somebody would cross my desk who could who could talk to me about, um, you know, sports and, and athleticism and, and, you know, your head. So is is that actually possible or was yeah, that? I read that same story. I know exactly when he was uh, I think he was in the Hanoi Hilton. And then he came out and like shot an 82 the first time he, he got out of jail after not you not playing and uh, because he played those rounds in his head. Yeah, definitely uh, for athletes and, and, and visualizations is really, really important seeing how the game is going to go. Even uh, Dr. Andrew Beck, my protagonist, he talks about that with his with his patients and and everything. Yeah, mental health in sports is a really big deal. And uh, I was a competitive athlete and in judo and wrestled in college and had you know, lots of injuries and things and, and, and really had some, and I struggled with eating disorders and, and other things until I switched to judo, which was uh, really much more healthy for me and got to do everything. And I, I wound up training with some Olympians. And I also spent a lot of time around pro athletes when I was younger. And, uh, you know, they have some of the same issues that we all have, you know, and then I don't think they get a whole lot of sympathy because, they're rich, they're famous, they're doing something that only 0.01% of the, of the world can do. But there a lot of, uh, during my research, you know, there was a lot of athletes that just had horrific childhoods. Um, there was one study where pro basketball players had uh, the same anxiety levels as men and women on the front lines. So it's uh, it's a real thing. You know, this past Olympics, I think it was uh, the gymnast from Simone America. Biles. Yes. And Simone dropped out of several events, um, citing mental health and safety, that her safety was absolutely at risk. And and I'm so glad to see that people didn't bash on her, but but rather were hailing her um, as, as a champion and hero of not just gymnastics, but of people to have a, a lot more openness about this. Yeah, that's really important. It was a very brave thing for her to do. And, and again, she yeah. The, the safety issues, you know, if she does a backflip and lands on her head, she could die, you know, and this happens in other athletes and where they're playing sports where they could really get very seriously injured. Um, and that happens a lot where their body is ready, but their mind isn't. And um, I bring that up. And, and this is one of the issues around sports psychology is if you, the sports psychologist works for the team, he has to report what happens in those sessions to it. So even though, you know, he may go back or he or she might go back to the team and say, you know, their body, yeah, they're they're fully healed from their injury, but their head's not that they may like, hey, we need them to suit up and uh and and get out there. And you know, that that happens. And I I bring that up in the book as well. 
Yeah. And, and they have to suit it up even physically. I remember there was another gymnast who had to do a vault on a broken foot just to get the points or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That happened playing injured. That, that happens a lot. Oh but. my gosh. Well, so such an important topic and I'm so glad you tackled it, but I'm curious why you tackled it in the form of a novel. So can you bring us, bring me back to, to where you started, like thinking, I want to write this book and how it took this form. Yeah. So as a competitive athlete, I was always very interested in, in what happened when an athlete fails and, and how they got over it, how they dealt with failure. I dealt with lots of failure as well as success. And, you know, just, I knew when I lost my matches, I played them over and over in my head, you know, for, for a week or two until the next tournament. And I often wonder, like, what do they do? And so a lot of times like, oh, okay, they went and spoke to a sports psychologist. And then my favorite question as a writer is what if? And well, what if that sports psychologist has more issues than the patients he's treating? And Dr. Andrew Beck, he's a sports psychologist, but he was also a golf prodigy. And he's the son of master's champion, Ted Beck. Mm -hmm. And he had this idea of them both having, being the first father and son master's champions. And he pushed Andrew to a breaking point. And at 18, being the top ranked amateur, he walked away from the game to pursue psychology and their relationship never healed after that. So, I mean, these are all real things that happen with generational trauma, as well as, you know, what happens. And his father taught him how to manipulate people, how to get in people's heads, how to psych out his opponents. And that was the way. And so now and that's also now, now the fact that he left golf, he still had that competitive nature. And then it kind of turned like anything else. If you don't have an outlet for it, the shadow part comes out. And he has a gambling addiction. So mm. he, that's the part where he has issues and, and he needs that ability. So he goes and he gambles in this underground casino called the Five Iron. And he's uh, able to use all his skills as a psychologist against his opponents, read their tells, look at what their body language is doing and facial expressions. And he able to use that to win. And his whole thing isn't even about the money. It's about really understanding his opponent and being able to to master them mentally. And that's all kind of okay in that world. Not okay in the world we live in. Not okay in, in the psych, but he's a, he does care about his patients very much, but he, he, he compartmentalizes and he has major, major issues. Wow. And, and what are you hoping that when people are reading this, you know, I, even just reading the reviews on it, I feel like, yes, let's have this conversation. Let's talk about, you know, what's going on. I mean, goodness, my, my own kids, when they played little league, there's a big sign up, you know, these are kids <laughs> don't yell at them. And it's, it's almost horrifying that they had to put that sign up. Yeah. Uh, I was a soccer coach too. And I coached boys and uh, my boys wanted to defeat it. And I would often say, look, one coach, that's me. Parents be quiet, you know, and I often talked to them about it and I kept a real safe place for them. And where I told them the rules on the team are number one, everyone gives me a hundred percent and two, no one's allowed to yell at each other. And we kept a very, very safe space. We had a lot of fun. I'm a kid at heart and we went undefeated and it works when you do it in the right way. You can bring that together. Uh, yeah, I think that the timing was just happened to work out. This has always been something I've been passionate about. And now it's really great that it's coming to the forefront and people are starting to talk about mental health uh, in sports. Um, Michael Phelps' weight of gold, yes. you know, and it, it's okay to not be okay and to be able to talk about it. We have such a stigma around talking about mental health and, and our various issues and athletes are human just like everyone else. So I try to bring it up in the book in, in ways that you don't have to be a sports fan. <laughs> or you don't even have to 
really know anything about it. I think some of the best comments I got from my readers uh, were from people who had really, they weren't sports fans, but we've all suffered trauma and we can all relate to that. And that's what I really try to bring out. So you can really see the human element. Um, and I wrote it in a first person point of view. So you're really in Andrew's head the entire time and understanding what he's going through, feeling what he's feeling. Um, one of the best comments I got from my one of my female readers is that it was a great uh, look into the male psyche. Now, I wrote it. I'm male. Right. So I just wrote it the way that I'm telling what Andrew's thinking, what he's feeling, what he's seeing, what he's tasting, uh, what he's going through. But for a woman, it was like a really interesting view, like, oh, that's how men think. I'm like, yeah. So that wasn't like an unintended consequence. But if I can bring, you know, if I can bring some awareness, I want the people to be entertained first and foremost. And then if I can bring some awareness around mental health, generational trauma, mental health and sports, that would be fantastic. I really would love that. Yeah. Now, every single book that someone writes, I mean, we leave a piece of ourselves in that book. Is Andrew you? Are you? No. Is that, a, is that a piece of you that you got to explore? Or is it somebody that you were looking at and you said, let me explore that for that person? Yeah. Uh, no. There's Easter eggs all through it of things <laughs> that happen in, in my life. There's all sorts of those things that are real. Uh, but as far as the characters, they're an amalgamation of all my research. But no, we're nothing alike. Nothing and, alike. <laughs> no, nothing alike. Which is interesting, right? It's an interesting to write someone who is very different. And mm -hmm. um, but all the characters in there, you know, there's, uh, uh, you know, I think there's. I don't really see myself in them. Although writing this, you know, I say it's like one of the best forms of therapy I ever had because mm -hmm. I had to put myself in those positions and to really get myself to those emotional areas, I had to uncover. A lot. I had a lot of time. It was pandemic. I was stuck by myself, you know, uh, even down in Barbados where I wrote the book, uh, you know, for several months we were in, under lockdown and it was a lot of time to just kind of really get to certain areas where, you know, you really need to, when you're writing it, I need to bring that emotion to the page and put it there. So I'm really feeling it and understanding where those feelings in me came from, even though, so there's definitely parts where I read it and I still get emotional from and still trying to discover where that comes from and, and what part of my psyche is it coming from. So yeah, it was a very healing process even for me in this make-believe world that I created, um, as sort of alternative reality to 2019 pre-pandemic and, and see what the world he plays in and being able to work that through. And yeah, so it was, it was a great form of therapy for me and writing is a wonderful form. Oh, absolutely. And you certainly can't be writing about generational trauma without it affecting you emotionally. I mean, that's, I would think almost impossible. Yeah. Writing about something like that. And, and like you said, you're taking a composite of all of your research. Uh, tell me a little bit about research because I always find with, um, of course, nonfiction authors heavily researched, but people question, well, what are you researching for fiction? Tell me a little bit about your research. Oh my God. Everything is research and being stuck even the places so a lot of the places really exist and some of them i created and made up uh and being able to go on google maps and look at things like where he lives and where the five irons is it's on mercer street i found like this little um there's an on mercer street which is one of my favorite streets in manhattan there's an elevator with a camera on it you know and now it's facing the street i'm like that's it that's where he goes and he goes down into 
into the five iron to do his gambling. Like that's where it's located, you know, and, and being able to do all that. So yeah, lots of research, what they're wearing, their clothes. There's a lot of detail in here. There's no excuse. The internet is so amazing. So if you read anything that takes you out of the story, then, you know, or anything that I write or anyone, then we didn't do our research this time. I'm writing the second book now. And I have now I got smart this time. And I have um, a word document with every link. And so I'm a hundred pages into the second to the first draft. And I have 10 pages of, of just links and pictures and things like that. Wow. So that's, I mean, it's so amazing. There's, it, it was really, that was fun. You know, it's really interesting, Stephanie. I despise research in all areas of my <laughs> life. Despise it. Absolutely despise it. I will not research vacations. Like one real quick story. Um, I had won like a charity auction for a vacation on this island in the Caribbean. And um, I, you know, I was supposed to take my girlfriend at the time. We broke up. So I took my best friend. And a week before we're supposed to get there, I look up the place and like, hey, Mike, this is a honeymoon place. (laughs) (laughs) And so we had very interesting questions to answer when we got there. (laughs) So it was like, I don't research things. But when I write, I research things to the nth degree because it's so important for me that my reader feel the, the story is authentic that they feel the characters are authentic, what they're wearing, what they're seeing, what they're smelling, what they're tasting, the the environment that they're in, the world that I built, I want them to be immersed in it. Mm-hmm. And so in order to do that, I got to do my homework. And yeah, there's hours and hours of research because I want I wanted to be seamless. When they say, oh my God, it was a page turner. Great. I had you really involved in the world and the characters and this and that. And those are the things that, it, that are subtle. So it's very, very subtle and they're not even really noticing it most time. But if you can capture them and really be passionate about the world that you're creating and the characters and every little minute detail, you know, I I was an accountant by profession. So I tend to be very, very detail oriented and I see things very visually too. So I see what they look like, what, what's going on, how their body's moving. And I try to describe it. Well, you know, I love what you said about not wanting your reader to be taken out of the world. And that's and that's exactly you nailed it. That's my experience. If I'm reading something and I'm like, wait a minute, that's not right. I've been on that street. The Starbucks <laughs> is on the left. Now, like I, I'm a little, you know, OCD about things. And I'll suddenly start to realize that there's an error. And you're you described it perfectly. I'm taken out of the world. There was a little glitch and now I'm not immersed. And I'm so glad also uh, another another takeaway I want to focus on is that you're talking about building that world. And, you know, so often it's it's my fantasy writers, it's sci fi writers who talk about world building. But even though yours takes place right here, you know, it could be a street I've walked down you're still building a world and you're making mm. sure through your research that you're doing correctly. I'm just so glad that you said that because not every um, contemporary novelist that I speak to says it in such clear terms that you have to make sure that your world is seamless. Even if your world is Manhattan, it has to be, it has to be the right thing. So I so appreciate you saying that. And I thank you. Uh, I have I have to ask you, it says book one, shock mm-hmm. and denial on your cover. So um, is that uh, is that a promise for more? 
<laughs> yep, I'm a uh, hundred pages into the first draft of book two. Uh, so it'll, it'll pick up right where that one that and this is only takes place a week in his life and uh, wow. just one week. Uh, so it's 380 pages of one week of how his life goes from, you know, life we would all want uh, down to, you know, he's kind of self-destructing. Yeah. And that's kind of how it goes when you do get into those spirals. And I've, I've seen it firsthand. Um, so yeah, there's definitely book two is coming. I'm, I'm working on it. The outline, it was really interesting. I did now I've done, you know, you learn so much, I think from first book to the second book. So if there's, uh, now I had like a full outline, um, and I was at the writer's digest conference and they said like, there's two kinds of writers. There's the plotters uh-huh. <laughs> and the pantsers plotters outline everything to the nth degree and pantsers just sit down and write. And I would say I'm in the middle of those. I like an outline. But I learned a real valuable lesson from Neil Gaiman's masterclass about letting your um, your characters speak to you and listen to them. And so I let them really, it sounds odd, right? But I let them speak to me and tell me more about them. I learned so much about my characters and things that that I didn't know about them. And um, And if you let them sort of tell you the story of what they wanted to come out, I know it's coming from my brain, but if you can put yourself in that position of like, okay, talk to me, let me know what you want, uh, then it's really it comes pretty quickly, and, and and you can tell a really really good story that way, and that's my goal, and I want my readers to be entertained. Fantastic. Well, you as a writer obviously are evolving as well. Um, how are you finding book two as compared to book one, writing wise? Easier, yeah. harder? putting up more roadblocks. What's, what's going on? Uh, well, you know, book marketing is a huge distraction (laughs) where where I didn't have that book one. I wrote it down in my home in Barbados, looking out at the ocean. I took breaks and jumped in the water and, you know, find animal clouds and cloud, you know, animals in the clouds. And that was my breaks. And, uh, it was a really wonderful environment to write in. Couldn't ask for a better environment. Now I have to deal with marketing the first one while, writing the second one. Yeah, it's been a distraction and went through a cover redesign that I that the one that we'd have that you showed is the new cover. Um, that means a new website. That means, you know, a lot of other things. So that's been that's been the hardest part. And then like I need four to five hours of block time and then blocking that time out without getting the interruptions. So that's been difficult. I would be dead honest and say that that's that's the hard part. But it, the, I still enjoy it. I still like going back and visiting. There was a period in time where I remember I was like in my house here and I was like, I miss my characters. I haven't spent, I mean, these people have been living in your head and I hadn't done anything in a couple of months. And then now it's, uh, so it was like, I really, I miss them. And I know that's a weird thing to say, but I kind of, I kind of miss them. And so it's really good to get back into them. And there, there's a lot of really fun people in, in, in the book. And there's a, yeah, there's an unusual kind of cast of characters that I think people are able to picture. Absolutely. Well, mo- most people who are, are listening are incredibly jealous right now that you wrote a book in Barbados. <laughs> so you definitely have to d- tell me at least one bad yeah. thing about sitting on a beach writing a book. Tell me how terrible it is. The sand got into your laptop because right now <laughs> we're all just wanting to move in. If uh, I press yeah, your just, <laughs> well, leaving the door open and the sand fly sometimes get in and bite my ankles. <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> Everything else I would say is wonderful. Yeah, I'm. I was. Uh, I always wanted to write, 
and um but i i have both sides in my my brain you know i'm i'm a neurotransparent i think is the name i can use both sides uh, pretty equally and so i have a, a analytical side as well as a creative side and so i was studying accounting in college because i just didn't feel you know, comfortable in the English department, but my my sophomore English professor said, "Chris, you're really talented. Um, you should switch and pursue your writing." And I said, "Look, I just don't want to be a poor, starving artist. So I'll go make some money and then I'll write." So, I mean, ups and downs in careers. I started my first company doing accounting consulting at 23. Uh, you know, built that up and got into tech and started my first tech company. Did really well took that money, put it into a mobile gaming company in 2001. And it was right before 9-11 and then lost everything that mm -hmm. I made. And I lost everything after that. I had Gosh. to rebuild and I rebuilt my consulting company, sold it and formed another company in construction equipment, built that up over 10 years, sold it. And my last day at my company that I was the CFO and that I co-founded was January 31st, 2020. Oh my gosh. And then, you know, I had a, a month to kind of figure out what my life was going to be. And then boom, we went right into pandemic. I was like, so I often say, you know, the pandemic's my fault because my goals in January, 2020 were one, to spend more time in my house and two, to have isolated time to write, like, wish granted. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you but, are the reason we had COVID. Uh, okay. My fault. I take I'm full responsibility. Glad we finally got to the bottom <laughs> of it. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, you know, it's been a real, really good journey. It's what I've always wanted to do. I have a lot more stories in me, and I'm excited to get this one as well as the book two. And you know, hopefully, well, I can finish it before the end of the year. Well, Chris, I don't care how many stories you have in you. Please stop causing pandemics, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting how many how we all adjusted to that, right? How many people really put them down, and um, and how many other people they they were able to switch their careers. They found balance in their life. So I think in, in everything where there's suffering, there's also an opportunity for, for personal growth. Um, you know, and I think we just have to look at all these times that as, as hard as they may be, where's the opportunity? I mean, even losing everything. And I think there's nothing worse than being poor, making money and losing it all. And it totally destroyed my confidence and and everything and it just you know you feel you're cursed and then a friend of mine said to me you know you know don't worry about it chris you're a survivor and i'm like yeah i am a survivor and you just you know you work yourself through it and those those things really really help but i was definitely beating myself up and i think you know as, as much hardship as there is you got to find in my opinion you have to find where the gold is in there that you can mine in that and then you know bring your life and, and make it something that you always want to do. I mean, I used to come home at night after my, to write, you know, so I'd work 12, 14 hours a day, come home and a couple of the nights and weekends just to start writing, to get back into it, you know? And um, I think if you want something bad enough, you'll figure out a way. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And, but, but book two will be very different now. Not only are you marketing book one, which I am so glad you pointed out the fact that marketing a book is probably as hard, if not harder than writing a book in many cases. Harder. Harder. <laughs> yeah. And and so many people think that when you type the words, the end on the book that you actually finished. <laughs> no, it took uh, several months just to get the production right. You know, just, in, um, and I, 
you know, independently published it through Amazon KDP. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it took a couple months and I had editors and and people helping me with it. It was it was hard just to get the production part and then start going into marketing, which is really, really hard. I never right, sold right. anything in my life for that's a $20. You know? Exactly, exactly. And now you're doing all of that. And and the pandemic, I mean, I certainly not the CDC, but you're no longer sitting on a beach in Barbados as much as you look like it. <laughs> uh, and, and, and our days, um, you're right, we had huge blocks of time during lockdown, and now we're back. So right. do you have, how do you carve out the time now? Yeah, um, I've always been really, really big about time management as an entrepreneur, just so many things. I mean, but I still believe in having balance in my life. And so what I do is I, I actually plan it out. I, every day I do a daily plan and to block out my hours. And um, even yesterday, and you got to find different things. Yesterday I needed some block time to finish. I'm, I have the audio book will be coming out for Christmas. Exactly. So the audio version. So I'm working on some of the things for the audio book. And I just went to a cafe and just you know, around the corner and for two hours, just got some focus work done. So you have to find out. I, so I'm really, it's always adapting and, and, and adjusting, but I'm really careful about planning out my time. Um, that's the accountant side. So even like, you know, I have that side, one quick other story, people ask me how long it took. Well, I kept a timesheet to keep that analytical part of my mind quiet. So it took 714 and a half hours. Oh my gosh. I got it down in a half hour. And I can't uh, believe you kept a timesheet like that. That's magnificent. Yeah. So I keep a timesheet because I wanted to know, but it also kept that that side. You know, we have this those sides, that positive side of our brain. And then our other side, I don't know, like me, who says I can't do things. And then I have an attitude problem, like, yes, I can. Like the best way to get me to do something is say I can't do it. I'll do it. And but that helped give that side of my brain a metric to focus on so I could be creative and let the artist take over. And after so many years of the CFO being in charge, now the artist gets to be in charge. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. And I, as I said earlier, what, what an inspiration for writers out there to hear about how you manage. I have never in my life had someone who clocked their time before on a yeah. book. You know, that's brilliant because wasn't there something that said you can become an expert at anything if you devote 10,000 10, hours? Yeah. Okay. So you did 700 plus <laughs> on the writing, which means how many hours are going to be left for marketing? 9,300 <laughs> yeah. hours on that's marketing. Right, something like that. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> I definitely do believe in the, the 10,000 hours and uh, and being able to work that. And, and you know, I'm learning. I'm, I know I'll get better. I believe this book is good. It's won two awards, one from Literary Titans, another one from um, Reader's Review. Uh, Reader's favorite, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's won two re- two awards, and you know, it's my first book, and I know it's it. I'll get better as a writer, and I'm excited about that. That I'm gonna get better at telling stories. I'm excited about. I'll, I'm gonna get better at grammar, and <laughs> and you know, not mess up my tenses and things that I've learned. You know, so it, it's it's a really good thing, and I think it's really important in life. What you know, for me, I always had a what's next plan after I kind of retired as an entrepreneur. I knew going in here, this is something I wanted to go out and be good at it. Like anything I take up, I want to be good at it. And that takes work. You know, it takes learning and, and you know, grammar wasn't something I had to use the same way. 
uh, you know, going from spreadsheets to, to Microsoft Word, <laughs> big, big difference. And uh, but I'm excited at, at knowing that I'll get better. I'm excited at, at you know, learning from from people and how much people teach me and and getting feedback from the readers and what they liked and the things that I didn't even notice. And that's that to me is like the real reward um, is when people talk to me about how my work spoke to them and what they got out of it, what they liked the scene. And then I can tell them like, there's so many Easter egg behind every scene. There's something in it that did happen in or close to my real life or where it comes from. Uh, and then I tell them the story behind it. Nice. Nice. Uh, tell me something so that uh, all of our listeners could know if I were going to be buying a copy of your book today as a gift for someone, can you describe who on my gift list I should be buying it for? Yeah, I think anyone who really likes being lost in a novel that just needs to be entertained for, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, a great book that you can pick up and put down, you know, just read a few pages at night. I think anyone who's really interested in a thriller and suspenseful if you like suspense and wondering what's going to happen next and you know what else is this character going to get into that's that's the type of book it's a great beach lake house or now as we get into the the cooler yeah. weather take it to the you know the ski lodge or a cabin <laughs> place in front of a fire and uh yeah and and just seeing you know what happens to this guy's life when uh he starts making some bad decisions you know <laughs> we all do but you can go out to my website. It's www.chriskjones.com. And then you can either, you know, uh, we'll be able to take direct buys pretty soon, but you can go to Amazon and look it up. Chris K. Jones, head case. Uh, and then the audio book will be coming out, um, you know, right around the holidays. So right before Christmas, I hope to to be able to launch that and, uh, and yeah, that's, that's going to be really exciting. The, the actor, uh, is really really good i think people are going to love it fantastic uh please when all that happens um tag me on a link on social media so we can be sure to share it with our audiences okay great sounds good I'm super excited when are you anticipating i know there's no way of knowing for sure but your next book yeah i mean the goal is you know hopefully by the next spring if we can i mean that's one of the beauties of uh of independent publishing. I don't have to wait for the publisher's schedule. And mm -hmm. as soon as it's done and edited, uh, you can get done. You know, so you can put it out there. Fantastic. So hopefully next spring. All right. We'll be looking for it. Thank mm -hmm. you so much for joining me today. And thank you for such a terrific book and happy writing. Thank you. Appreciate it.